Let's stand together as we uh, read our scripture reading for today together. From Matthew 5, 7 to 12. Let's read. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the living word of God for us today. Let's pray together. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word, living and active. It's sharp. It comes into our hearts and it, it uh, grows deep roots. And that's what we want, God. We want to come to you with soft hearts this morning that you would sink your truth down deep into our hearts, God. We, we come with so many different um, backgrounds and experiences and feelings this morning. So many different situations rep- represented in this room, but you know them all, God. And we're so grateful that we can come to you just as we are and know that you are here and ready to meet with us and ready to let your words sink down into our hearts. God, we come in the midst of another difficult week. There's disease and hurricanes and and rising tensions in our country around race and social justice. God, our hearts are crying out for peace and justice, and we know you hear us. Thank you, God. Would you show us what it means to follow your son, Jesus, as we listen to his very words this morning? We look to you, God, and we pray all of this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, fellowship. Uh, I join Lindsay in uh, saying welcome. So glad you're here. Um, For those of you who may be guests, my name is Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, serving alongside our lead pastor, Rob Sweet. Um, We're one church with two campuses. I I think many of you know that, but we repeat it um, because I know we have a number of guests coming. Um, We have a congregation meeting at this exact time uh, down in Franklin. um, And we go back and forth, Rob and I teaching back and forth. So uh, for those of you who are, are, you know, you're probably on to me and you're going, you know what, Lloyd's going to pop out here in a minute. This is just a video introduction. Uh, I want you to know um, I'm going to be right here on video for the whole message. Uh, I am coming to you from uh, our home over in Franklin in Cottonwood. Um, I've always wanted to teach. Honestly, I've always wanted to teach from home. and, And now I've got a good reason. So... Uh, late Wednesday night, our two girls uh, came home from school up in Knoxville, and uh, they're in a sorority up there. They had some had had some positive um, COVID tests. Uh, they were around in large groups with one person maybe that had that, that had it, and so uh, on Wednesday they went and got tested. <clears throat> they were coming home anyways this weekend, and they came home on Wednesday night. I didn't see them till ten o'clock that night, um, but. Uh, because we knew they were being tested, I want you, Lisa and I did not greet, hug, kiss, or anything. We kept their distance, and they wore masks the whole time, and um, still wearing masks. Uh, found out on Thursday that one of the girls tested positive, the other one negative, both of them asymptomatic, um, and so we, we felt like it'd be best for me to teach 
from here. And so uh, it's, I want you to know it's, it's my iPhone and it's me. And uh, we're sitting on my porch and uh, we'll spend the next 30 minutes together. No telling what will happen with me just taking this on the iPhone. And yes, I, I know you see deer above my left shoulder. I thought about taking him down, but I thought uh, if you get bored, take a look at him and know that he is looking at you as I'm teaching. Kerry Newhoff, he's a Christian blogger, um, really has one of the most popular podcasts around Christian leadership uh, as those things go. Um, he, he's a guy, who, he, he's got a church up in Canada and uh, he's just one of those people, you all, who's got a, a, an eye on the culture and the church and, and the interaction of the two. And in my study this week, as I was reading, I, I came across something he said and Honestly, it just bothered me. Then uh, it made me sad, made me angry, um, and then it made me glad because of the inside. It, it, it kind of opened up. Um, here's what uh, Newhoff said. I shortened it a bit, uh, so you know, just to summarize it closer. But he said this: the problem with so many non-Christians isn't that they don't know any Christians. The problem is that they do, end quote. I'm gonna read it again. The problem with so many non-Christians isn't that they don't know any Christians, the problem is that they do. What uh, Newhoff is helping us to see is that y'all are, it's our behavior as Christians, it's the way we respond to life, It's it's what uh, it's things we say, what we say about other people. It's things we do. It's things we don't do. It is uh, how we conduct ourselves, how, how we spend our money, what we invest in, what do we give our time to, what what values come out of us as people watch us live. That that, that those things are you know this are way louder. I mean they're they're just so loud. Okay, they will drown out anything we just say about our faith. And so what, what happens is, unfortunately, many non-Christians, they don't, and I, this is for me too, they don't see a biblical Christian per se. What they see is, is what I'm going to call some measure of an American cultural Christian, um, which often gets slotted like this, okay? You, you can get slotted as the uh, conservative evangelical, and yes, that's generally going to be Republican, or you can be slotted as the liberal socialist, and yes, that's going to be slotted as uh, oftentimes democratic. And just me saying those words, you know, got some of you, your hearts racing. Uh, where's he gonna go with this? Well, let me tell you where I'm gonna go and where we're gonna go. We're gonna go to the Sermon on the Mount uh, because it's here uh, in the words of Jesus himself that we have a description of the character and the behavior of a biblical Christian. It's, it's a picture, as we've said, of, a, of someone who, who is in the kingdom and who, someone who is following Jesus. This is what they look like. This is what they do. And you know, the reason we're here is that our hope is over the next six months, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, is that individually and quite frankly, corporate, you, corporately, y'all, we will find ourselves aligning more and more uh, with a Christianity described, obviously we want to be in the Sermon 
on the mount. And, and in that way, I, I really believe this, our lives uh, move from being, um, and my, I'm speaking about myself, a hindrance to those who don't know Christ. And instead our lives honestly become an appetizer by which they find their way to the table, the full table of Jesus. Now, Rob, last week, um, you know, began the, the, the formal Sermon on the Mount after I did the introduction the week before with eight characteristics of the person who's following Jesus. Each begins with the word blessed or blessed. You know, we're going to bounce around back and forth on that. It's, it's called the Beatitudes. It comes from the Latin beatus, uh, which is where we get beatitudes. Um, it, meant, it, it means happy. Uh, the Greek, as, as Rob mentioned, is uh, makarios, and uh, it means um, it, it means that, that happy, it, it means, as he said, uh, well off, or he said, to be in a really good place. This is blessed. Uh, we, might, we might say, flourishing because of God, this person is. Rob covered the first four Beatitudes. I'm going to pick up the last four this morning. I, I do hope you'll watch that message. You all the all our messages build upon each other because we're doing expository teaching through a book, through these chapters. And the Sermon on the Mount um, has parts and this beatitude section builds upon itself, as I'll mention here at the end. Let's take our Bibles. If you don't have yours, go ahead and get it open. And passages we just led, I'm gonna take it a verse at a time. Let's start, we're in Matthew 5, and I'm just gonna take these last four and we'll start with the first one beginning in verse seven, follow along in your Bibles. Jesus says... Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, think of mercy as compassion uh, in action. It, it's, it's the doing of compassion. It's not just to feel sorry for someone or be sorrowful about someone's condition, um, but it's actually, the, it is the, the, the motion, but it's the doing as a result of feeling that for someone. Uh, mercy similar to grace. Think about grace. Grace is uh, unmerited favor. There's nothing you can do to earn grace. It's, it's unearned. It's, it's, it's bestowed upon us. And uh, mercy, many would say, and I think this is true, mercy is either the other side of the coin or you could say it flows out of grace. Uh, you might describe it like this. Um, you know, we're born separated from God. Um, we, we, in our sin, we deserve to, to die, to be separated from God, the way just in his death. We are, in, in, in a few words, you know, without God and separating from God, we are in a, a miserable and helpless place and we can't do anything about it. And so it's God, out of his grace, it's unmerited, but, but he sees our hopeless condition and he acts. And therefore we see so many passages where the Bible says God is merciful. It's certainly what David, I would suggest, was, was addressing, and Jesus, I think, referring, referencing out of David's uh, words in Psalm 51, 1 and 2, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. If you haven't, if you haven't, um, put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, for your sin, then 
you haven't received that mercy. If you have put your trust in Christ, then you're a recipient of God's mercy. You, you've, you've received that mercy from him. Jesus, note he says here that uh, it's, it's those who are, it's like if, when you're, those who are, are merciful, then receive mercy. And it can lead us to this thought, and, and this is where we need to be careful. It leads you to think, well, if, if I'm not merciful, and by the way, we're going to talk about this later when Jesus says, if you don't forgive people, you're not going to be forgiven. So I want to think about, we need to be careful how we treat this. Because you can think, well, if I'm not merciful, I'm not going to be receive mercy from God, which, which honestly puts you on a slippery slope to, to, to a, a works-based salvation, where I've got to be merciful in order to receive that. Let's take the context of the sermon Rob covered this last week. Um, the characteristics that Jesus is describing in the Sermon on the Mount, in these Beatitudes, will be specific there, are true of everyone who's in the kingdom. Th these are people who are following the king. We'll say it this way. These are people who have put their trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is, this is for Christian, Christ followers. He's not describing, don't ever, don't go here. He's not describing what someone has to do uh, in order to get in the kingdom of God. He's describing someone who's in the kingdom and because they're in the kingdom, this is how their life looks. This is how they live. So if you've put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've received his mercy. And so, Extending mercy, being merciful, y'all, for the Christian is as uh, it's as it's as normal and natural as breathing to someone who's alive. It, it's what you do. It's part of being alive. Which means this. I'll put it in a short statement. The mercy you show is the mercy that you know. Say it again, the mercy that you show is the mercy that you know. If, if your showing of mercy, a compassion that addresses needs, that acts, if that's sporadic or lacking, you know, the, the question to ask is, is what mercy do I know? Uh, for the Christian who knows mercy, that mercy will flow through them. The mercy you show is the mercy that you know. Let's go on to the next one. Look at verse eight. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Verse eight, I'll read it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, Jesus is speaking of being in the presence of God. Um, it's probably eschatological, meaning he's speaking primarily of, um, of our future in seeing God and seeing him face to face. It's about being in relationship with God. Um, and he's saying here that to be, you know, the ones who see God, note this, it, it's not because you keep all the rules. It's because you have a pure heart, an undiluted, an undivided, a, a, a heart with no, um, you know, corruption within it. Uh, that means it's, you know, again, to, to be in the kingdom is not about, you, you, you don't, earn your way in the kingdom. You don't work your way in the kingdom by righteous deeds. Uh, to be in the presence of God, you've, you've actually got to be pure, not just outwardly, but y'all, you got to be pure inwardly. Now we're talking about uh, in, in attitudes, in motivations, uh, in 
in thoughts. And when you hear, when I hear that, I'll admit you, I go, I don't stand a chance. Uh, no doubt Jesus is drawing here again upon the words of David. Psalm, one, Psalm 15 says this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And the answer is he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Not just he just speaks truth, but speaks truth in his heart. I've never forgotten. Um, when I was in seminary, this was back in, you know, 92, 93, uh, Stanley Toussaint was uh, one of the most respected professors there. He was in his 70s at the time. And, you know, you say this about people and certain people, it truly fits. It's not for, not for everybody, but he genuinely, he, he was a godly man, um, humble, a quiet in spirit, a, a prayerful man, a godly man. And I remember in class, I forget what book he was teaching, but it was a New Testament class, and he made this statement. He said, I have never had a pure motive in my life. And when he said that, you know, I was in my 30s at the time, my short life flashed before me, and I thought, neither have I. And if he in his 70s would say that, it's almost like his vulnerability opened up for me to go, and not only haven't I, but, you know, I never will. I'm, you guys, you may say, well, I have pure motives. I love so-and-so. Pure, blameless in attitude and thought and motive. Pure in heart reminds us it's not those who, who work to clean their heart, you know, who will see God be in the presence of God. Because quite frankly, and that's the point of this, that's impossible, can't do it. Um, the pure in heart are those who recognize the fallenness of their heart and cast themselves, how? On God's mercy and trust the person and work of Jesus who does what? What does Jesus do? What's the new covenant? He gives us a new heart. No one sees God if they come to him with the heart they were born with, so to speak. No, we need a new heart and that comes through faith in Christ. And the third beatitude this morning, look at verse nine, peacemaker, verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers, or they shall be called sons of God. Uh, I, I can't define um, the peace of God better. I've said it many times in different messages, but, but I come across this and I can't define it better than uh, New Testament scholar William Barclay does in his commentary on this verse. He says, in Hebrew, peace is never only a negative state. It never means only the absence of trouble. In Hebrew, peace always means everything which makes for a man's highest good. In the East, when a man says to another, salam, and it's like shalom, which is the same word for peace, he does not mean that he wishes for the other man only the absence of evil things. He wishes for him the presence of all good things. In the Bible, peace means not only freedom from all trouble, it means enjoyment of all good. When we think about peacemakers, you know, we generally, I do, I think of those who keep the peace, um, people who remain calm. I, I, you know, I'm, my own personality can, in many 
you know, temperament profiles and whatnot can, can, can be labeled a peacemaker. Um, but w honestly, you know, in, in temperament profiles and those things, we're not, that's not, that peacemaking is not talking about a biblical peacemaker. That, that's talking about someone who just is calm, you know, who, who kind of settles things down. The waters are going rough and that person seeks to remain calm. I can tell you as someone who people would say, oh, he's just calm, such a peacemaker. Uh, I'm not a peacemaker. Um, I, I, I just, I just don't want to get engaged in that. And so I would rather, you know, just ignore or deny or diminish the conflict that's happening. That's not peacemaking. That's not what this is describing. Jesus is describing peacemakers here. Peacemakers, think about this, are some of the most troublesome, irksome, bothersome, irritating people you know. Why? Because in the conflict of life, you know what they do? They won't let you go. They will keep coming toward you. They'll, they'll seek to make peace either with you or help you make peace with others. If you want to know what a peacemaker looks like, you don't need to look further than Jesus. And isn't it, isn't it interesting? Okay, the ultimate consummate peacemaker actually made a lot of enemies, didn't he? Uh, he upset a lot of people as he made peace possible, right? Between, think vertically, God and man, and between sinful people. Peacemakers are called sons of God. I just want to touch on that. It's, it's a description. It's not, it's not um, in the salvific sense, you're a son or daughter of, the, of, of God in Christ. No, it's, 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 it's a Jewish phrase that means, you know, that person carries those characteristics. Uh, Barclay, again, uh, helps us a bit here when he says this, um, you know, when, when he calls him, for the Jew, this was simply a way, a way of saying what characterizes a person. So sons of God is saying uh, peacemakers are exhibiting the character of the ultimate peacemaker, God himself. Uh, rather than saying he's, he's peaceable, they say he's a son of God who's the ultimate Peacemaker. So let's go to the eighth characteristic of a Christ follower. We're in verses 10 through 12. Follow along in your Bibles. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, may I tell you, is saying nothing less than this. If you follow, if you're following me, truly following me, then you will know how, how, how closely you are following me by the measure of persecution directed towards you because you're following me. And I say because you're following him because Jesus makes clear here, he's not talking about bad things happening in life, hard things happening in life, things that happen because we're in a fallen body and we live in a fallen planet. He's not even talking about being mistreated per se. It's being mistreated because you're following Jesus. Talk about 
you know, as, as a Christ follower, and Rob said this, talk about things working, you know, in reverse and, and going backwards. When you are persecuted for following me, you're in a really good place. Good for you. Uh, that word rejoice carries the idea. Literally, it, 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 it's to leap for joy. This is jumping up and down joy. Talk about an upside down world. How about that one? Um, you're persecuted. Jump up and down. It's awesome. Yeah. Now, lest we think he was kidding or speaking in hyperbole, I want you to take a look at the apostles and, and how they understood these words and then how they experienced and lived them out. Uh, they were preaching the gospel. So this is all they're doing. They're not marching, protesting. They're not, they're not attacking anything. They're, not, they're just telling people about Jesus. Here, here's, here's what happens. They get jailed and they are beaten. That means you know, what, what would have happened to them would have been 39 lashes across their backs. So they're leaving jail with their, probably their backs bleeding, their clothing all torn up. Notice Acts 5. 40 and 41, it says they called in the apostles, had them flogged. So there's the 39 lashes. Then ordered them never speak again in the name of Jesus. Then let them go. And then here, here we go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Same word, rejoice and be glad that we just read. They were leaping, you all. While bleeding, certainly in pain, were persecuted for speaking about Jesus. I don't want us to miss what this particular beatitude is telling us about life um, and, a, and a life that's blessed, right? A life that's flourishing. It's the kind, it's what we were made for. It's what we long for, all of us, all humanity. Genuine happiness and fulfillment in, in this life now requires a certain measure of pain, loss, disappointment, mistreatment. That sounds crazy. Just think about that. Those are things that most people spend their entire adult life, at least, and even in childhood, trying to avoid, <laughs> trying to bury, trying to diminish, trying to deflect trying to get away from. And that's what Jesus's words, Jesus's words here are saying to us that no genuine happiness and fulfillment. If you want to be in a good place in life, it, it will actually require pain, loss, and mistreatment. Think about it this way. Jesus, he lived the fullest human life possible. We can step back from that and say, well, then the full human life's not about longevity, is it? Think about his life and you can say, well, it's not about that. It's not about that. You know, obviously it's not about accumulation either. He felt all of these, he felt pain, loss, and mistreatment. Listen, he felt it to a degree that you and I never will. Why would I even say that? Because because he was sinless and experienced those things. Many have noted, by the way, from a literary standpoint, that the Beatitudes are like a ladder, each, um, each rung taking 
you a bit higher to the pinnacle. Um, so, so, you know, you begin at uh, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger. You see, and you just build and build to the, the pinnacle, which tells us this. It, this is what Jesus is saying. You want to talk about an upside-down world? When you are persecuted for following me, life doesn't get any better than that. Mm. That's what he says. When you're persecuted for following me, that's the best life possible on the planet. Um, I've got a question for application for you. We've walked through this passage. Rob and I are trying to put some application at the end for you that you can ponder. I'm going to give you the time to do it. Um, you know, Lindsay, when, when the reading happened earlier, Lindsay, and, and we're doing this week by week, Lindsay prayed a very short prayer, but the gist of Jesus, show us what it means to follow you. And then we're in our text. He's shown us what it means to follow him. And so I'm going to put up a slide and give you a few moments to read these application questions. Um, Whichever one, and I, and I put a few on here because there's so much here and I want to give you some some leeway for the Spirit to move wherever He's speaking to you. And so read the, the, the questions and whichever one the Spirit, this is, y'all, this is Spirit dependence. This is going, Holy Spirit, show me where you work in my life and what you saying to me in this message this morning. Um, whatever you sense the Spirit inviting you to do, um, I want you to do it courageously. I want you to answer the question honestly. And um, we are going to go to the Lord's table and respond in worship. But I'm giving you a moment right now to um, look, at, look at the slide. And I'm going to ask you uh, to sit in those questions and uh, speak to God. I'm going to step away for a moment because we're going to take the Lord's table and I'm going to get my elements. Pray about your application right now.
let me ask you to to take your elements. I went in. I went in and got my elements for the Lord's table. Take the elements for the table. Those of you in the room, go ahead and peel the top off your cup. Get your wafer and open your juice. Those of you online, if you would get your elements as I have gotten mine, I want you to take those elements and uh, I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Would you do that, please? Online or, you know, and obviously in the, in the room, please stand holding these elements. And I will pray for us as we take them. And I want to offer this consideration for this whole the whole section of the Beatitudes, it, it comes to this, if, if I can say it this way. Jesus lived these Beatitudes to perfection and he was killed for it. Why would we think that living them will cost us any less. Will we live them to perfection? No. But Jesus will go on to say later in Matthew, if you want to live, give up your life. The, the Beatitudes are the surrendered life, if I can say it that. It's, it's, it's your life given up and it's Christ in you and his life through you and the world killed him for it. I I believe this when we live this way in our day as in every day. It'll cost us our life in different ways, maybe not literally and physically, but in other ways. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we hold in our hands symbols of your life symbols of your death. You demonstrated by your life that the blessed life comes only through your death. And your death opened up the gates of heaven for all who would put their trust in you. It's by death we come to life. Jesus, we recognize in this Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes as you've begun are dying to our own agenda to live for yours is the means by which others, the world, people who don't know you can come to find life in you. As we take this table today, may we live the reality of this table tomorrow and every day. Lord Jesus, for your body broken, we give thanks, even as you gave thanks on that night in which you were betrayed. Take and eat the bread. And for your bloodshed, we give thanks. Your life was poured out that we might be blessed and that we might be a blessing to others. 
We proclaim your life, death, and resurrection in this table, that it happened in our past. Yes, it happened historically. And you are going to come again one day to set all things right. Lord Jesus, we give thanks. Take and drink. Father, the persecution that ends in death in the eyes of the world is defeat and loss. But in the ways of your kingdom, to be persecuted because we're living for Jesus is to be blessed. And should that persecution persecution lead to death, it is actually victory and gain, not defeat and loss. May this truth arise from our hearts and may it be shouted from our lips to your glory. We lift our voices.